0: left for three.
2: Welcome to another edition of the RunWire Wire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday. It is March 30th. Nick Whalen joined, as I always am, on Tuesdays by Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, we we recapped the trade deadline last Thursday. We hopped on right after everything finished up, covered all of that news. Uh, I want to get into some of the debuts that we saw over the weekend. Uh, There wasn't as much of a delay as I thought there would be. I, I thought there'd be more complications with you know, health and safety protocols and guys switching teams, switching cities on, on short notice. And I kind of thought there'd be more of a, you know, four to six day buffer period, but, but a lot of these guys were able to suit up, you know, right away on Friday, Saturday Uh, Vooch has already played two games with the Chicago bulls. So uh, I'll I'll let you lead it off from here. What, what impressed you over the weekend guys that you saw in new places?
1: Well, I think maybe less about what impressed me. I've been disappointed with the bulls who have gone and 2 without Vooch or with Vucevic there. Like he's been getting his numbers and, you know, the, I I think there's always like this period where, you know, you have to adjust, especially when you get a guy as good as Vucevic and he's learning to share the court with, um, with Levine and everything like that. Like there's going to be some sort of adjustment period, but, um, they give up a lot of points to the Spurs. I think Vucevic is really good, but he is not known as a plus defender. Right. And like, that was like the one thing that Wendell Carter, you could point to and be like, okay, Wendell Carter pretty good defender and Thad Young was somehow putting together like, you know, nice uh, defensive, like Thad young is really good for them on on defense playing center somehow. So I think uh, there, there is some adjustment going on there, but like ultimately I still think this was was a good move for them.
2: I do too. We have to see more of a sample uh, before writing it off, but yeah, a little bit discouraging through two games. I, I think what is encouraging is that Busevich has looked pretty comfortable Next to Zach Levine, uh, hasn't really had a player, I would say, near that caliber in in the last few years, unless I'm blanking on somebody in Orlando.
1: Um, I mean, like the the best version of Victor Oladipo on any given day, right? Like back in the day, but I I don't think that really compares to Zach Levine.
2: Right, and and obviously Orlando hasn't been that relevant, but it's it's been his team, and and now he's sharing that spotlight, and I I think he's probably more of the one B to Levine's one a, you know, I I don't think they're, they're necessarily co-stars. I I think by nature of how Levine plays um, he's just going to end up kind of taking over more of the usage. And I mean, Vucevic only took 13 shots uh, against the Warriors last night on Monday night. That was his second lowest total all season, his fewest shots he's taken in any game uh, since a game against the Clippers in late January when Orlando got blown out and he played fewer than 30 minutes. So something to keep an eye on uh, fantasy wise is just, you know, kind of how that workload ends up being distributed. He took 16 shots in his debut, which was a good sign, but only got to the line once. And he was basically taking 20 to 25 every single night yeah. with Orlando this season. So a, a little bit of a reduction there. You mentioned Thaddeus Young. I mean, this this doesn't necessarily have to do with uh, the Bulls' addition of Vucevic, but Thaddeus Young started Monday night's game, which means that Wendell Carter is now a member of the Orlando Magic. Laurie marketing is now coming off the bench and Kobe white is now coming off the bench. Those are three of the bulls, four biggest pieces we thought coming into the season.
1: Yeah. And this looks even worse now that marketing didn't get traded. And then they're like, well, you know, now you're on the bench. And like, I don't, you know, I don't always hate the idea of like a, a good team that happens to have young players on it, bringing those young guys off the bench for them to play together. I'm not like necessarily opposed to that, but I feel like, and I think for Kobe white, it makes sense. Cause he, he profiles as kind of like that, like kind of microwave scoring sixth man. Right. But for Markenin, I feel like it's a little awkward because marketing is someone who, if you're high on marketing and you're like, well, this guy is like all-star upside. He's shown seasons where he's, you know, or he's had the one season where he was like 19 points, uh, eight rebounds and he shot really well. And he still has, you know, he still has moments this season where he's looked good, but Bringing him off the bench and playing him 22 minutes is like that's that's pretty rough. I mean, if you have him in fantasy and also in real life, it's it's got to kind of make for an awkward dynamic since I'm not sure either. Like I don't think I don't know if the Bulls want him there. I don't know if he wants to be on the Bulls. Yeah, they're in a tough spot. Like you said, not cashing in on that asset. We'll, we'll see
2: what ends up happening with him um, in terms of that future contract. But you know, we we talked with you know with Ben uh, Zwyman a few weeks ago just about kind of looking back on that Butler trade and. You know the, the Levine piece has certainly worked out, and you know what Chicago ends up doing long term with him, whether they end up have, give him a max deal um, for for a player who still has some flaws, you know that could create some issues. But the the like the co-headliner in that trade was the number seven pick in that draft, and and that of course turned into marketing. And and looking back, it was kind of a seven or eight player draft. Everybody felt pretty good about Fultz, Ball, Tatum, Jackson, Fox, Isaac. Markkinen was the seventh guy, and then Dennis Smith, I think, was the eighth guy. He ends up going ninth. You Neil know, Akina goes eighth. But I, I think before that draft, Chicago looked at it and said, okay, we we can get you know one of these maybe not sure things, but but prospects that everybody in this class likes. And, and Markkinen certainly hasn't been a bust on like the Josh Jackson or or the early Fultz level by any means. But I mean that was your your kind of primary return in the superstar trade. And and here we are, you know, four years later, and and once again the team giving up the superstar looks like it's getting the short end of the stick.
1: Yeah. I mark And it's tough because I, I think part of his, like, I feel like we don't know yet what his role should be on a good team. Um, because you can look at his numbers this year and he's scoring 17 points a game on 13 shots. That's great. He's 39% from three. He's one of the best, you know, three point shooting seven footers we have in the NBA. Like we can kind of, you know, go back and forth about how good he actually is, but that's true. Um, you know, he's not a great rebounder. He's obviously not going to pass that well. And he's again, he's not someone that's great on defense. So where does, it's kind of like, where does he sit in the, like, is he going to be your, you know, your fourth or your fifth option? And it's like, obviously he's going to want to get paid. Like he's, you know, a top two option. Cause he's 23 years old and putting up 17 points a game on good efficiency. Um, it's tough. Like, it's just, you don't, they got a good player. I think Laurie marketing is good. It's just, he's, He's kind of in that zone where I think it's tougher teams to gauge how much to even pay a guy like this. You know, what is your future? Uh, it kind of reminds me of Lonzo, someone we've we've talked about a lot. It's like, how much can you really pay this guy who maybe doesn't project to be a top two or three option on a, on a really great team?
2: Yeah, and I think Lonzo's been better and more consistent. They've had similar injury issues, but I, I think Lonzo's shown a lot more that you'd feel good about, you know, giving a four or five year contract to than. Uh, than Laurie Markkinen has. And they're in the same draft, so they are kind of in the same boat. That is a good comparison. I mean, going forward, assuming Chicago does re-sign Levine, which I, I think at this point seems pretty likely, a heck of a lot more likely now than it did a year ago when it felt like he was more treading water. Like, to me, it feels like he's actually taken a step forward this season, which I don't think you could necessarily say uh, in years past. You have Vucevic through 2022-23. That contract goes from 26 mil this season, 24 next season, 22 the year after, so you, you do get a little bit of a monetary break there. And, and in terms of the current contracts that are being doled out to guys like Vucevic, that is kind of a bargain. And I, I think that's another thing to consider with this deal for Chicago is it's never gonna we're never gonna look look at that Vooch contract and be like, man, they just cannot get rid of that in 2023. Like it's always going to be tradable if it needs to be. But I mean, if you're Chicago, what's the next step? Because if you don't believe that Marcin can be at least the third guy, which at this point is probably 50 50 at best, I mean. Right. Patrick Williams looks looks fine, but doesn't look like he's going to be the type of player who you know is all of a sudden going to be like helping you contend for a title in year two or year three. That's more of a long term situation. I mean, Kobe White has probably taken a step back this season compared to what he showed at the end of last year. Like, you know, what, what, what do you go do? Do you go hunt somebody in free agency to be that third guy? Or are you kind of content to play this out with Vucevic and Levine? Because if it's option two, like I don't. I don't even know what the floor is for that team. Like Vucevic and Levine are probably good enough to keep you in the seven or eight range for sure in the East. But I, I don't really think that you can you know, lie to yourself and, and convince anybody that you're on the same level as Brooklyn or Philly or Milwaukee.
1: Right. I think they I mean, they have I think they have to do everything they can to like try to keep their young guys around that they like. Because when you're a competitive team, those rookie contracts are so valuable because they allow you to go above the cap and everything like that. So like in theory, keeping in would be great, but I think I think they do I think they really do have to push to get a third guy, because I don't know many people who really think Zach Levine or Nikola Vucevic can be your number one option, and I think there's a lot of people who probably don't think they should be your number two option necessarily. I think that's a good step because I mean in this situation, one of them is your number two option, but you want to at least try to find another guy I think that's on their level. Um, I don't know if they'll be able to get someone like above them because that's just, that's going to be really tough. But if they can get another player who's a similar skill level as them, just kind of like a fringe all-star or like a decent all-star, I think that would be great. It's just like, that's not easy.
2: Right. And and again, this we've harped on this all year. It it just speaks to like where the league is at right now, where you, you have two all-stars, you have a guy who is one of the leading scorers in the league and you know, has taken a major leap this season and, and has really started to look like a, a a great, you know, potential like 30 point per game guy in the modern NBA. And we're looking at it and being like, ah, they, they they might have to blow this up. Maybe they shouldn't re-sign that guy. You know, like there's there's such a small concentration of guys who you say 100% yes, for sure, sign that guy to the max or the super max. And, and Zach Levine, you know, right now, if you're ranking the best players in the NBA this season, is certainly in the top 15. I mean, maybe if you're, if you're taking into account the last couple of years, he's not that high, but He's definitely in that mix this season. And, and at the same time, there's still a lot of people that would say, I, I don't want to pay Zach Levine a max deal.
1: Right. And I think, you know, they have to go. It's tough because there are going to be some guys in free agency who are interesting. Like DeMar DeRozan's a free agent and Victor Oladipo is going to be a free agent. And I think they should probably push for, you know, one of those guys. But I don't know how well they really fit, you know, with, yeah. with the team necessarily. Like, that's tough. Um, and then after that, you know, I'm just kind of looking at the contracts that are ending this season. You very quickly get into like Tim Hardaway, Jr. Evan Fournier, Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. Um, and those would all be nice pieces to add if you're planning on, like, if you strike out on those other guys and it's like, well, if we can, Hey, if we can add, you know, like if we can add DeRozan Rosen and we end up keeping in and just going like all in on these young guys and hoping they develop, that's something. But you that does kind of like I feel like you are in a position where you know there's a chance they could end up just being one of those teams in the east that's like top six every year for the next three years, and maybe they win a couple first round series and they make the second round interesting. But um, it's hard to envision like a them competing for a title if you know Levine or uh Vucevic is like one of their top right. two guys.
2: So, here's the question Is it possible to even build? A title favorite, like a team that you feel really good about winning the title, if you don't have one of those top five to seven, at the absolute most guys, because some teams have multiple. You know, the Lakers, you know, when right. when Davis is healthy is is probably a top seven guy. The Nets certainly have multiple. Like I, I feel like with Chicago, like the absolute best case scenario is you build a team that feels like Utah this year. Yeah. And And there's still a lot of people, myself included, who are like Utah's not winning the finals. I don't, I don't see Utah pulling this off. Like every two or three years, we get a team like this. That looks awesome. All the pieces come together. And then you get to the playoffs and you're reminded that it's a superstar league and the teams that have the superstars tend to win those series. So it, it almost, it's, it's such a weird dynamic. And I feel like so many teams in the league are in the spot where it's like, we don't have one of those guys. We just rather have nobody, you know, we'd rather be starting Chassan Randall or Sadiq Bay than even try to get one of those guys. You know, it's like, is it is it almost better to be in Detroit situation or, you know, the current Orlando Magic situation than it is to be a team like Chicago where you have two really good players, but you don't have any great players? You know, you mentioned somebody like DeRozan, Fournier hitting free agency. Like, the Bulls adding DeMar DeRozan or, or adding another, like, kind of good free agent, like, that wouldn't change anything for me. Like, short of adding LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant, like, it, it just doesn't feel like they could stockpile enough good role players where it would convince me that they're better than the team that has two superstars.
1: Yeah. To, I think to kind of jump into that tier where people start taking you seriously as a title contender, if you don't have basically like an MVP caliber player on your team is like is a really deep bench and extremely good coaching, which is what Utah has. Utah has a great bench. They're coached really well. When you watch them play, it's like the ball is on a string. Everyone knows where they're supposed to be. And also good defense is part of that. And I think Chicago has an opportunity to build a really deep team, right, with all these young players that they have and stuff like that. Yeah. But they would probably need a step up in coaching, even though I think Billy Donovan's pretty good in general. Mm-hmm. And they would probably need to get better defenders because that's their main problem right now. Oh, is yeah. They're They're not going to be able to defend anybody. So, and that's right. kind of where they they diverge from a team like Utah. Yeah. And your or top like two field guys. San Antonio teams.
2: True, right? And your top two guys don't defend. they they, you yeah. know, they, they try, but they're just not good at it, and that's a problem. Um, and it, you know, when you don't have a superstar or or certainly two superstars, you basically have to hit the jackpot on every other role player, right? Yeah. You know, you can't just fall back on LeBron giving you 42, 10, and 10 in a game six. You know, you you need you need to hit on like every single guy numbers three through 10 on the roster, and those guys need to be playing really well basically every single night to offset the gap in town. And it's just a, it's a super hard way to build a team. You know, every now and then you see one that works, but, you know, even, even the teams that people point to, like, you know, the Raptors and, and Mavericks, the kind of the non super teams that won a title, you know, one of those teams had Dirk, one of them had Kawhi Leonard.
1: Right. Yeah. And the, I mean, the thing about the, you know, the Bulls is they're, they're locked into enough where really it's like they have a. They have an all-star guard and they have an all-star big. So probably what they need is an all-star wing. And if they can't really get, I mean, they can't get another center. They're not going to upgrade at center. That doesn't make sense. And it's kind of impossible. And they, do you really want another guard? Like maybe you do taking the ball away from Zach Levine. Um, So you kind of need to like, you need to get a wing. And that really kind of, that pigeonholes you into trying to find this one specific player and the great versions of those players are like locked into their teams. Like you're not going to get Jalen Brown. You're not going to get Jason Tatum. You're not going to get like, I don't even know who, who is really available for you to get or try to swing a trade for. Um, that's like an elite wing out there that would really make a difference for you. It's uh, it's tough.
2: Yeah. Ilya Sova ended up getting picked up by the jazz. So he's not out there anymore. It's just, there's not, there's not a lot out there on the market. The Roadwire NBA podcast is brought to you by Gamer Saloon. Gamer Saloon is a video game tournament platform where you can play video games for real cash prizes. All major consoles and PCs are supported. Our most popular titles are NBA 2K, Madden, FIFA, NHL, and Call of Duty. Gamer Saloon launched in 2006 and since then has awarded more than $75 million in prizes. Players could play in multiplayer tournaments or simply play 1v1 games from your couch for real cash prizes. Withdrawals are fast and easy, and they're directly deposited right into your PayPal account. Join a free match on us today by going to gamersaloon.com slash rotowire. That's gamersaloon.com slash rotowire, and simply pick your game of choice. All you have to do is win one match, and Gamersaloon will give you $10. Again, gamersaloon.com slash Roto-Wire, win that match, go get those free $10. In terms of other debuts, Evan Fournier, 0-10 from the field last okay. night uh, for the Celtics. They lost to the Pelicans. Fourth player in the last 40 years to go 0-10 for 10 or worse in his first game with a new team. First player since Anton Jameson, in, I believe it was 2010, uh, when he joined the LeBron Cavs and went 0-12 in his first game. So that was kind of a disaster. I'm, I'm still pretty high on that move. Overall, I mean, we, we went pretty deep on that last week. Don't need to revisit it. But uh, ultimately, not sure it really raises the Celtic ceiling all that much. But I, I think it makes them a better regular season team for sure. Um, Wendell Carter, I, I want to talk about the the current state of the Orlando Magic, which is yeah. rivaling uh, very quickly the Detroit Pistons. Uh, and, and you could even throw the Cavs and, and maybe OKC with all their injuries right now for just one of the wildest rosters that we've seen in a while. Are we sure that Wendell Carter is going to start? the rest of the year he he did not start in his debut which isn't that big of a red flag but i mean he he played a decent chunk of minutes and i i think was their third best center in that game behind mobamba and kem birch
1: mobamba uh looked good i watched like the recap of that game he looks bigger like if he's got to have put on like 30 or 40 pounds since being drafted right which i yeah. guess if you're if you're playing like 11 minutes a game in the nba i you probably should be in the gym um like <laughs> like doing something. So, yeah, I mean, he was, Bamba was good. He got some easy dunks. Um, You know, the, the magic were moving the ball around pretty well against the Lakers. Um, he had three blocks. Like, I, I mean, I think for, you know, for the magic, I don't know why Ken, Ken Birch is there. I don't know why he's still getting so many minutes, but um, you know, I guess if you're, if you're Orlando and you have two centers on your roster, like Bamba and Carter, and it's like, well, you know, let's, more or less split the time between these guys kind of like see who pans out more. That's not necessarily a bad way to go about it. Um, And honestly, I would, I would love to see some lineups run where they're on the court together. I think that would be, you know, like interesting and fun, but who knows?
2: We very well may see that. Although, you know, they have Otto Porter who apparently they're going to keep around, uh, you know, Chuma Okiki, the first round pick from 2019 uh, has been playing a lot more minutes. That's been one of the silver linings here. And, I mean, Terrence Ross has also been hurt. So once once he comes back, I think we'll actually get a real look at what this rotation could be for the next twenty-five or thirty games or whatever's left. It feels to me like they could look be one of those teams that like looks okay for a week and we're like, hey, you know, these guys are coming together. You know, there's a bunch of scrappy cast offs, and then they'll lose like 17 in a row to end the year. Um at the same time, like you, you mentioned Bamba. You know, my thought when when Carter went there is like, okay, this is gonna be great. There's a zero pressure situation as a guy who's the top ten pick you know, kind of a chance to reset. Obviously it wasn't going well in Chicago. You kind of forget that Mo Bamba was drafted even higher in his draft than, than Wendell Carter was in his. So like the magic have just as much invested in Bamba as they do Carter. So there's, there's maybe not this, you know, kind of back of your mind obligation to, to start Wendell Carter. If Mo Bamba playing better.
1: Right. Yeah. I, it's, you know, I mean, Orlando should be in a spot where they're just kind of picking up reclamation projects. Right. And like, sure. I, do I, I don't really like saying that about Bomba or Carter because it's only been a few years. And especially for Bomba, who's been on the team the whole time. You can't really claim he's a project, a reclamation project. But, you know, they got R.J. Hampton, too, which I think was good for them. Um, yeah. It would be nice for them if Gary Harris worked out. But, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really weird situation, like, for them at center. It's kind of, like, unlike any—I th- I mean, would, I mean, the closest thing to that would that be, like— you know, the 76ers had Nerlens Noelle, Noel and Joel Embiid for a while, like very different yeah. situations, mind you. But like, <laughs> yeah,
2: which which one of these guys is Embiid? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Bamba, I think. I think Bamba, is. yeah. I don't know. Well, they I also had Okafor, too.
2: Yeah, they also had Okafor. So I think Birch is then Okafor in this scenario. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that is 100 percent what this uh, what this Orlando yeah. Magic situation is. Okay,
2: uh, we'll get back to some of the buyout guys. Andre Drummond is set to debut for the Lakers on Wednesday. We just found that out about an hour ago, but we'll, we'll hit on that a bit later. I want to talk real quickly about the MVP, and I said to you about 30 minutes ago before we hit record that I didn't want to talk about the MVP, but I it, I don't know how I feel about Harden at this point. I, I think Jokic is the rightful favorite. I think as of right now, he's on track to win it. I would be totally okay with that. He's been... Start to finish, the best statistical player in the league. Totally okay with that. I think I've, I've come around to the possibility of Harden winning the MVP. And, you know, he said himself on Friday night, I am the MVP. Most people did not take that well, um, given his reputation, I think, among fans and the media at this point. But, man, I mean, I, I think it's, been, it's Jokic, Harden, and, and Giannis that have played the best for the last month or two. And, I, I you know, I, I kind of was able to, I was willing to cross Harden off when he left Houston, not only because of the precedent that no player traded mid season has ever won the MVP, but I just thought it was so messy for a guy whose reputation was already iffy at best with a lot of media members, guys who vote on this award. I, and, and I think there still will be a lot who just won't vote for him no matter what. But my main reason was I don't, I don't give a lot of you know respect when it comes to the MVP to guys who join a super team. You know, it's one thing maybe if you form the super team around you and it just kind of happens, like i I don't really understand all the all the, the hate that's going towards KD right now, just because it's like if, if these guys want to come play with you, you're not going to say no. Um, but if you you know, if you go seek that out and you know are, are happy to be the kind of the third guy, you know, playing with a, another MVP in Durant um, and we saw it in Golden State, you know, Durant and Curry weren't winning the MVP when they were playing together. It's just kind of how it was. The key is that Durant has barely played. He's played like, what, four or five games with Harden, if that. We have no idea when he's going to be back. It it always seems like it's going to be this coming week, and then it's another week or two. And we're getting to the point where those guys might only play 20, 25 games together the entire year. And and again, I I don't think that Harden is going to end up winning it. I think there's too many people who were rubbed the wrong way by the Houston situation. But, I mean, he's making a really, really strong case because Kyrie's also missed a ton of time. Like, he has been the engine of this Nets team by far their best player since coming there
1: does this remind you at all of I don't remember what year it was but like late stage big three Miami Heat where it was like LeBron played every game and then Wade was like his knee was always sore and the amount of games that like Bosh Wade and LeBron actually played together was pretty slim and if so your case for LeBron as MVP that season like made sense because you were like A lot of times he's just out there by himself with like him and Birdman and Mario Chalmers, um, yeah. you know.
2: So well, I, think, I think so. LeBron won he won the MVP his second and third year in Miami. So that you know that kind of bucks the trend of not winning it on a super team. But you know he was penalized the first year certainly for for going to Miami. Didn't win that one, and I, I think KD won it in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but no, I I think that's a that's a good comparison because I mean this one's it's kind of flipped where these guys haven't played together for years, you know, it's, it's kind of right away Harden arrives and all of a sudden everybody's injured. But, you know, for people like me who are just saying like, I, I just don't think you can win the MVP when you go join a super team. He, he attempted to join a super team, but said super team hasn't really formed because the the best player of them all has barely been healthy.
1: <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Because early, early on when um, I found the season, by the way, it was 2011, 12, okay. Uh, where lebron played 62 although i guess that was during the lockout but wade played 49 right. that's 66 57. game season yeah anyway yeah i think early on when they were all healthy uh uh hardin kyrie i was like this doesn't make sense to vote Hart. like again this is a big three situation how much credit can we give one individual player when all these players are all nba caliber essentially but you're right now that you know kyrie's missed a lot of time KD especially has been out And Hargan is like running, he's like Bruce Brown, pick and rolls into like just a ton of wins. Like you kick out to Joe Harris and it's like, you know, he, he has become, I mean, he still is a one man offense and always has been. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, again, there's just not much more we can say about Hargan that hasn't been said. He's one of the best offensive players of all time. Um, and like, so any roster you throw him on, he's going to be in a situation where he can finish top. Three in MVP, I think. And it helps. I mean, so much of this helps that Joel Embiid is out and it's still not really clear when he's coming back, and LeBron is also in the same situation. And so voters can be like, well, I don't really want to vote for Embiid and LeBron. They missed, you know, 20 games or whatever. And it's like, I don't really want to vote for Giannis because of that situation. And it's like, well, I, you know, I'll never vote, you know, voting Lillard over hargan will make me look bad. So I think, I think a lot of the narrative or like, a lot of things are working out in Hargan's favor, I think is what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah. I think he's going to get a lot of votes just because of other narratives and other players getting hurt, um, Sure. which is yeah, a benefactor.
2: factor. Yeah. I mean, if Embiid and, and LeBron don't go down, we're probably not even having this discussion. And Harden certainly is not listed at plus 550 on DraftKings to win the MVP right now. That's a, that's a huge part of the narrative this year is that arguably the number one and number two contenders are, are going to miss enough time that it might ultimately knocked them out of the race. So, you know, in a normal year, this probably isn't even part of the conversation, but it's, it's been a major factor in, in Harden kind of climbing back into a race that nobody thought he would be in the day that he exited
1: Houston. Right. And the thing is like his help at this point, I mean, if, if you put Kyrie on the team for like most of these games, I still feel like his, his level of help. Isn't that much different from Steph Curry or Dame Lillard or Doncic. No. and I think all those guys, or I think all three of those guys, especially Lillard and, and Curry, should be in the discussion for MVP. Um, and I'm not opposed to, I, w- I wouldn't be opposed to voting Lillard over Harden right now. But, because uh, I mean, if you talk about Damian Lillard's season, it's like there's a guy, another guy who's putting up like 30 points, eight assists, yeah. and McCollum and Nurkic were out for like 20 games. I mean, his right. the second best player on his team for a long stretch was like Covington? I don't I, like. I don't even know. Gary Trent, uh, yeah. <laughs> no.
2: yeah, no. Lillard's gonna be right there. I mean, I, I it depends how much time Embiid and LeBron miss. But I mean, in the in the unlikely event that Harden were to go down at some point, that's when it would get really interesting. I think between right. Jokic and Lillard because that would that would obviously bump Lillard up a little bit. But I mean, Harden's just been incredibly durable. Not really something that's talked about much with him. But that doesn't really seem like a possibility of of him ever missing more than one or two games at a time. Uh, let's get to some of the buyout guys. I mentioned Drummond. Uh, he joined the Lakers on Sunday night, did not play in their game on Sunday, of course, but we'll start right away on Wednesday. And this isn't really something that crossed my mind until it, a reporter asked Vogel today, like, have you had any conversations about buying out Marc Gasol? So I, I don't know if the implication is that Gasol maybe is just out of the rotation at this point. Uh, those guys obviously can't play together. And you would, you would think Drummond probably plays, you know, once he's back in shape, probably plays 30 to 35 minutes. That doesn't leave a whole lot for Gasol. The Lakers do like to go small every now and then. Um, and then when Anthony Davis is back, I mean, I I think that could pretty much be the end of the Gasol experiment for the Lakers, which has been, uh, and I would like to take a small victory lap on this because I I thought he was washed last year. It's been kind of a disaster. Like every now and then he'll have a game where he has two blocks and six assists. And you're kind of reminded like how smart he is, but Marcus all is, is a, a complete shell of himself, you know, even from two years ago.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, last year in the playoffs, there for Toronto, there were some moments where it was like, boy, like, yeah, it was it, bad. Should I he be on Lakers the court? Him. I know. I mean, I why not take him if he wants to? Like, <laughs> he's basically free, right? I mean, yeah. That that's the thing with like some of these buyout situations that I think people overlook. Just in terms of like, I'd like, this isn't necessarily about Gasol, but people on Twitter or whoever will be like, you know, oh, you know, Aldridge isn't really going to help them or like Griffin's not really going to help them. It's like, they're like, you're getting these players for free. Like it's, do, would it, you, it's like, do you want Timothy Luavu Cabrerault and Nicholas right. Claxton in your, in your, <laughs> in your closing five? Or would you rather have Blake Griffin or LaMarcus Aldridge? Like, what are we really arguing about here? They didn't really have to drop anybody worthwhile. It's like, what do you, there is zero loss. Um, Anyway. Yeah. Gasol is pretty much done. I think Drummond, I mean, Drummond should play 30 minutes a game for them. Because, I mean, Montrezl Harold is also, like, they clearly don't really trust Harold Harold at all. And, like, you know, Drummond will at least get you 15 boards. Um, So, I mean, I... And I'm not out on him like for the playoffs either. I think he can be valuable in the playoffs. You know, his free throw, his free throw shooting is a problem, but you know, if they start doing hack a drum and just take him out and put AD at center, not a big deal.
2: Yeah. I'm with you on that. I I think some of these buyout guys and honestly Drummond especially, and it's not just, you know, my, I was going to say Lakers bias. I don't know. Am I even a Lakers fan at this point? I don't know, but he's he's not 35. LaMarcus Aldridge is 35. You know, Andre Drummond has not had 75 knee surgeries. He's not Blake Griffin. Like there's, I, I think we've become a little too low on him. And the expectation is not that he's going to play 40 minutes in game five of the NBA finals and, and give you, you know, 35 rebounds, some sort of Wilt Chamberlain number. Like I think when you consider the other talent that's been on this roster, it's not that great. You pull Davis and LeBron away. All of a sudden this team looks like it's a you know bottom five to 10 team in the league. Like Just adding somebody like that uh, is going to help. But do do you have the same thoughts as I do about Aldridge? You know, where he'll have a moment here or there, but um, just kind of nice to have somebody competent that you can trust out there for 15 minutes, even though you know you're not expecting him
1: to carry the offense like he was for teams two, three years ago. Yes, like I think I think just getting as much basketball IQ on the court as possible, and as much playoff experience as possible, just on your roster, maybe not not even necessarily on the court, but just in your locker room on your roster as long as they don't have some like completely insane version of themselves in their head where they're like still a top 10 player i think that's valuable you know and i think i think griffin i think i think blake is very aware of who he is as a player at this point i would like to imagine lamarcus uh, aldridge feels the same way um but yeah i mean this is a this is a win for them i mean was, i i don't know how you would i don't think classifying this as like well this might mess up the chemistry or like Oh, Claxton is better or whatever. I don't think that's I don't really think that's <laughs> meaningful it, conversation. Like is that been a take? Yeah. I mean people well people I don't know. There's like the people who hate buyouts and there's the people yeah. who think like, oh, you know, like no way Griffin's better than Bruce Brown. It's just not so I don't know.
2: It's I mean, there's something to be said just about the reliability that somebody who's been in the NBA for ten years brings versus somebody who's bounced around the G League you know for the last few years guys like Claxton and Brown like yeah they've been good but at the end of the day like you you want that veteran experience even if they're at a completely different phase of their career speaking of which Jeff Teague has landed with the Milwaukee Bucks I wow. sneakily kind of like this move I, I don't know if the Bucks are still in on Austin Rivers that seemed like it was about to be a done deal uh on Sunday and haven't really heard much about that since but I mean, if they have to settle for Teague, I, I think that's fine. Uh, obviously, his career has taken a, a pretty dramatic drop over the last year or two, but I have to imagine he was better than what DJ Augustine was giving them.
1: Yes, I think. I mean, DJ Augustine was pretty bad. Um, that's correct. the, the version. The version of DJ Augustine that the Bucks had was—I I don't even know how to explain it. It was just like I don't even know what he was doing out there half the time. It was very confusing. Um, but like I mentioned, you know, with the Aldridge and Griffin, it's like, you're getting playoff experience from this guy, uh, from Teague and someone who's familiar with the coach, Reggie right? played with Bogenholzer for oh, like eight years or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, he does, he has more playoff experience than Austin rivers. I don't think, I mean, rivers might rivers might have a better chance of like scoring 30 in a game. Right, but I think Teague probably raises your floor on a more consistent basis. And um I have a hard time believing that like ultimately this is a win for the Bucks. If if you're saying you can keep DJ Augustine and DJ Wilson, but your other option is Jeff Teague and PJ Tucker, everyone is taking the second option. Mm -hmm. So it's a win.
2: Right. And if if you're relying on a thirty two year old point guard to come in and give you a 30 point game in the playoffs. Like you have, you have other issues. Like that's, (laughs) I don't think that's the goal. I think you're, you're looking for somebody who, you know, if if drew holiday has, you know, picks up three fouls in the first half, somebody who can just get you through an eight minute stretch in the third quarter.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. And Teague has been in a situation before in Atlanta where it's like, he was definitely good for that team, but he was able to facilitate the offense to players who were like better than him. And they play with a very balanced roster and I think he can play, you know, at the same time with with Drew Holley as well. I don't think their games like conflict. So I, th- I think this is a good move overall for for Milwaukee.
2: I, I'm just verifying that he was, in fact, an all star that year with Atlanta. Right? He was.
1: Yeah. Oh 14,
2: 15. Also, play, also a co-player of the month, I believe, with four other players. <laughs> Nothing against Jeff Teague. I was actually a pretty big fan of peak Jeff Teague. The Bucks tried to sign him around yeah. that time. Uh signed off offer sheet. One of probably the five worst players to ever make an all star game. Is that fair? Um. Yeah. Actually, although I'm not, I'm looking at his like, five-year year. peak numbers, he's not that bad. No, I take no, that. Back.
1: The, the year he made the All-Star team, he was 16 points on decent efficiency, seven assists, only three turnovers, 1.7 steals. That steals number really helps his case because yeah. he he was never really that high again. But mm-hmm. he was okay. I take your team is. Shouldn't have yeah. Said if you're yeah, it, it's not bad. Yeah, I'm I'm just thinking like Jamal McGlory made an
2: All-Star team. Like, what am I yeah, saying? Yeah. If if I really wanted to go back, I'm sure we could find more. Um. Let's see. Oh, I had this other note I forgot to mention uh when we were talking about the Nets. Has I, I and please stop me if I if we've talked about this on the pod before. I don't think we have, but this is a thought I've I've been bouncing around for a while. Has there ever been a player who's had more surrounding talent throughout his entire career than Kevin Durant? This is not meant to be a dig on KD, just a, a legitimate question. He's played with at least one MVP or future MVP every year, except for his rookie season. Wow. Yeah, just throughout his career. Right. Um, Russ arrives in year two. Uh, obviously, Harden is there as well, and and you know you can make the case about how those guys were at that time versus their peak, but played with at least one MVP on the roster every single year of his career except his rookie year.
1: If we're talking about players who are also good, like all All NBA MVP type caliber, I think the mm-hmm. answer is clearly no. I I or no one has had more talent. Yeah, I'm not either. yeah, I'm not talking like Robert Horry or like, Ste- like Steve Kerr, like yeah. Yeah. Um no, I think I can't think of anybody off the top of my head at least in the past because when you you go back and you think about okay, the last, you know, 15 years of basketball, it's pretty much like LeBron and his teams were, you know, I mean if you can you can discount his first 6-7 years just because the their surrounding talent there was just awful and Katie just got dropped into a situation where Again, like you mentioned, like he just got put next to future MVPs, um, right. and then he went and played with Steph Curry. Um, all those guys are gonna make the Hall of Fame. All those Warriors guys are, I think, are in. Yep. Um, I think I think Iguodala is gonna get in eventually too. I personally, I think if you win a Finals MVP, you should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So. Right. And the, for and me, an All Star.
2: It wasn't like a complete out of nowhere situation. No, I mean it wasn't. It wasn't, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Magic Johnson comes to mind. You know, basically anybody who played on those those Lakers and Celtics teams obviously had a ton of talent, but part of the reason a lot of those guys are so revered is because of how great Magic was. You know, and, and obviously he played with Kareem, who had a whole separate career basically before Magic even arrived. And you can make that case for KD too. You know, maybe Russ doesn't become the player he is or Harden doesn't become the player he is if he's not going against KD and learning from KD. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's it's just kind of a crazy Confluence, and and a lot of it just goes back to how well OKC drafted for those
1: first few years, you know, after moving to Oklahoma City from Seattle. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame Kevin Durant for like no. not well for that, and and just for not like, I just, I would have loved to see him be like the guy on a team. You know, I think, I, th- I think for yeah, for any for any player that good or any player in an MVP discussion, I would just, you know. Like, it's always fascinating to think of the idea, like, well, what if, what if we put that version of the player on like LeBron's rookie team, you know, those right. rookie cat, like what could Durant have scored 40 a game, you know, something like that. Um, yeah. And we'll just, we'll never see that. It's too late now. The Achilles injury, mm-hmm. you just never know. Um, I, but I also don't think it should take away from his case of potentially being the best player in the NBA at any point in his career. You know, no. I think there there is a point where we probably could have said Kevin Durant was better than LeBron. Um, but it's just, it's harder to make that argument when again, you're surrounded by Steph Curry and all that right. other talent.
2: Yeah. And I, obviously him voluntarily going there, yeah, I, I think kind of rubbed people the wrong way, but yeah, we've, we've never seen it. Like with LeBron, you know, we had, and this was no fault of his own. Like if the Cavs were just better at drafting and making transactions, right. you know, maybe he'd be in that same situation. Like he played seven years with no talent around him. So we, we basically got an entire phase of his career as the unquestioned number one guy that changes in Miami for a little bit. It you know he plays along alongside Kyrie in Cleveland, but then again, even in like phase three of LeBron's career, we get that random one-off 2018 year where it's him and Jordan Clarkson going to the finals, and then even his first year in LA before he gets hurt, he plays 55 games with Kyle Kuzma and Lonzo Ball as his second best players. Right. Yeah, I would I would love to just see a, a one-off situation like that where where like I kind of wish Durant would have never gotten hurt and there had been some sort of gap year like he had just played out last season with just him and Kyrie in Brooklyn. Um, because I mean going forward, I just the you know, he's what, thirty-two years old? Like the way that this team is constructed, I I don't know that we're ever gonna see a peak Kevin Durant season where he's just the sole guy. I don't think it's ever gonna happen.
1: No, it seems uh seems close to impossible yeah. unless like he just did something at the end of his career, which right. again I, I you know I
2: mean. Well I mean a lot of it too is LeBron going too far. I I think going too far all in, you know, and pushing teams to make transactions that are short term. And then, you know, he ends up being the one kind of holding the bag at the end in Cleveland, where it's like, I I guess he could have forced his way out. Like other players have, he's just, he's just never really done that. But you know, Durant's I think been a lot, he's been smarter about it. He hasn't been as forceful about going all in. He's been kind of more hands off. And I think that's, that's helped result in him just being in these really good situations. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't kind of put himself behind the eight ball in in the way that LeBron has.
1: Right. And yeah I mean, well, that last situation the last season for LeBron was I mean Kyrie forcing his way out of there yeah. threatening the knee surgery. I mean, what were they supposed to do? No, you know exactly and that Isaiah was that was Thomas one of my was,
2: most fun like nBA seasons to watch like he played all eighty two games like that that run through the playoffs. I mean that was maybe like the worst that the East had been at all during that stretch. like I think wasn't Tatum a rookie that year, and that's who they played in the east Finals. It was just like a just a horrendous uh You know, kind of gauntlet, I guess, for for the Cavs until they just got smacked around by the Warriors. But man, that was that was a really really fun phase.
1: Yeah, I mean, thirty three year old LeBron averaging thirty four nine and nine in the playoffs. Yeah, like Jesus. All
2: right, that was I mean that was the year of the the J R Smith game, the fifty point game (laughs) one. Um, I think he had didn't he he had like three or four buzzer beaters in those playoffs. That was the series where he fully like that was the, the the last series that DeMar DeRozan ever played in Toronto. That was when he basically ended that franchise as it was
1: yeah that was an incredible playoff run for him yeah I would I would love to just like sit down and rewatch that whole eastern conference playoffs again well I'd
2: be lying to you if I said I haven't done that a couple times (laughs) at least least the highlights version um all right real real quickly before we get out of here Quinn Snyder is going to win coach of the year I think that's pretty much decided um DraftKings doesn't have odds up right now but um Fox Bet, I, I don't know what that is, but they have Quinn Snyder at minus one hundred and fifty, and the next highest coach is plus six hundred and fifty. So, I mean, barring a complete collapse by the Jazz, Quint Snyder will be will be the coach of the year. He's never he's never won the award before. I think that helps. Uh, this is clearly his year to get it. If you were just to take the Jazz and Quint Snyder out of the mix, who do you think is the the second most deserving this season?
1: Huh, that's tough because you could say it goes to Monty Williams and Phoenix, but it's kind of hard to separate their success from just like Chris Paul coming in. Right. And, and that whole situation. Um, I don't know. I mean, Philly being at the top of the conference is good, but they were kind of like, I feel like that was kind of expected. Like they should be top two in their, co- in the conference. Um, I don't, I mean, maybe it would just end up going to, to Doc Rivers by default. I'm not sure actually. Thibodeau has an argument. Um is there someone you're thinking of?
2: Not really. I I I think there's gonna be some Steve Nash buzz because there's gonna be the whole, you know, personality management argument, you know, doing so well, you're know, bringing in Harden, basically playing this whole year without Durant, Kyrie being in and out. Um, so I I could see him getting some buzz. I mean it it's it's such a clear win for Snyder that it's it's kinda hard to make a case for anyone else. I mean like you said, Doc is going to be in the mix. Monty Williams is plus 650. Um, I don't know. I mean, a, a lot of the, the 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 coaches for the good teams, it feels like, you know, like it feels like it's been like a bad coaching job by Budenholzer. Weirdly, like even though the Bucks have been a good team, like he's kind of out of it. Obviously, he's a past winner. Uh, Frank Vogel, I I think was in the mix last year, but it it's just hard to win Coach of the Year on a team when you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, and, and obviously the injuries have taken him out. I don't know. I, I I mean, in in terms of like just pure maximization of talent, I I, I think Terry Stotts should be in the conversation. I think James Borrego in, in Charlotte could be in the conversation. But no, I mean, to me, there's there's not necessarily one clear guy, I would say, is the
1: the kind of runner up for me to Snyder. Right. I, I agree with you. I, I wouldn't mind if Thibodeau won it, honestly, just in terms of they added they didn't really add anything to the roster like they drafted Emmanuel quickly. Cool. RJ Barrett got, you know, better. Um, like they got Derek Rose, but like that was later. And he hasn't even played that much for them. Frankly, he was out so long with COVID protocols. Um, I don't know. I mean, he, he would be yeah. in there for me. I think, I think he deserves to finish like top three, honestly.
2: Oh yeah. No, that, that's a, that was an omission by me. I'm surprised he's 33 to one. Like he's in the same grouping. He has the same odds as Brad Stevens who there have been, like, multiple should the Celtics move on for Brad Stevens' was, narratives yeah. this year. Like, how is that possible? I, I feel like Tim should be, he should be in that second grouping. You know, again, Snyder should be the heavy favorite, but I, I think, like, Monty Williams, Doc Rivers, Tom Thibodeau, I would be totally fine with all three of those guys being around 7-1. to one. Yeah, yeah, I would too. Ty Lue, 14-1, what are we doing? That's not happening. He's not winning no. this. No, never. Bogle, even at 20-1? to one? No, man. No, there's, well, the thing is, there's not, like, a a real upstart team that we thought was going to be horrendous and actually ended up being okay. Right. I mean, I mean, maybe (laughs) I don't even want to pronounce Mark, Mark Dagenaults with the Thunder. I mean, they, the Thunder have been doing everything they can to lose games and are still like three and a half games out of the play-in.
1: True. Um, yeah, but I mean, by doing such a good job, he's arguably doing a bad job. Right. right. Um, going to get fired (laughs) coaching. He's
2: coaching a bad team too. Well, um, yeah no I mean even like last year you know we had Taylor Jenkins you know a first year coach yeah. from memphis and and that team you know was was able to hang around and and be the nine seed in the west and it felt like he maybe he had a chance but now the bad teams are are pretty much bad and, and for the most part the the good teams have been good and i, I think that makes it uh it makes it just kind of hard to evaluate when it things have gone fairly as expected right all right, we'll cut it off there uh you guys have a a guest on the pod, I'm told later this week.
1: Yeah, I think you know, barring anything on am we'll get Andre Snellings of ESPN, uh, who used to work here at Rotowire, so that'll be fun. Not we're not entirely sure what we're going to talk about yet, but probably just some news and and maybe even some dynasty stuff because we're all in a uh in a, in a dynasty league together. I, I swung
2: a trade with Andre with 1 minute remaining before wow. the trade deadline last night. Uh, I I'm i going to say I had the I had the uh, trade proposal in about 5 hours before, but I credit to Andre for bringing it down to the wire. Making me sweat it out a little bit. I almost had to trade Brad Bio for Eric Gordon, um, but Ooh. I was able to to unload him. And Andre said he's never gone all in in this league before, and he's finally doing it this year.
1: That's uh that's exciting to do. Um, I don't think I've I've only been in for like three years. I don't think I've really gone all in. I inherited Giannis, which has kind of just put me in decent Huge. company for a while. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I finished second two years ago, and it's been uh it's been a rough rebuild ever since Uh, a a lot of injuries, but no, that's, that's a really fun league and I'm sure you guys will dive into all the specifics. Um, There's just, I think, I don't talk to many people that that play in, you know, dynasty NBA leagues all that much. A lot of people do season long. A lot of people do DFS, but um, this one, I I think is my favorite. Just, just because it involves like contract management and you
1: have to kind of think as if you're dealing with a salary cap and things like that. It, It was really difficult at first. Like if you're getting into a dynasty keeper league with contracts involved, it's like at first it's kind of overwhelming. But after like I think by the second year I was in, I was like, oh, this makes total sense to me. Like you can treat it like it's a normal NBA team. Yes. In terms of like tanking, going all in, stuff like that. It's just like a super cycled normal NBA like dynamic where you can go from contending to like rebuilding in one season.
2: Yeah. And there's only what, ten teams in the league. So you have like three superstars in every team and you, you always feel great about your roster and then end up realizing that it's not all that great in the end. But no, I was in the same boat as you. The first year I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what any of these contract abbreviations mean. Like I I was constantly studying like the the manifesto for the league that has all the info. And then I ended up building like a basically like a hoops hype salary breakdown for my team. And that, that makes it so much easier.